Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of our Network Classics, our PTSM Network Classics. As uh, we again bring you, we look back, we go back into the archives of uh, the the WWE, the WWE Network, and uh, we bring you uh, one of these episodes. And today we're doing uh, an episode of WWF Superstars from April 25th, 1992. And uh, as I have mentioned uh, uh, many times, uh, you know, giving you a little bit of behind the scenes, uh, Superstars was a, a program that was pretty much just like uh, Wrestling Challenge, a, uh, an absolute promotional tool. Like their philosophy back then, and uh, you have to remember uh, the evolution of the company. You know, this is, uh, we're talking 1992, and the company really took off back in 85. So we're talking about a seven-year span here when things really, you know, took off after WrestleMania one. And, uh, you know, Vince always had the, uh, you know, the belief that uh, it was all about just getting the product out there and then selling the talent, which hasn't really changed over the years, but how they make their money certainly has. And back then, the way they made their money was doing house shows. They'd had, they had house shows across the country, and they did just an incredible amount of these house shows in every uh, little city and hamlet uh, you could imagine. And that is how the superstars of the time were paid. They would get money uh, from the house gates. And, uh, you know, who knew what the percentage was or how that all broke down. But during that period of time, you know, these guys were making uh, very good livings, uh, certainly better than they'd ever made uh, working in the territories. I mean, you had superstars that were, you know, mid-card guys who were making well over, you know, $200,000 and plus. So... That's how it was done, but the the way to get people to go to these events was through programs like uh, Superstars, WWF Superstars, and Wrestling Challenge. And uh, what we would basically do with those shows is just uh, you know just plug, 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 plug. Uh, not just the superstars, but everything that was going on. And as you'll see in this episode, there is a lot of plugging going on, uh, not only for uh, you know the the personalities, the talent which you see a lot in here. Uh, but there's some, you know, there's some good matches. Uh, you see the stars of the day. Ric Flair with, was with the World Wrestling Federation at the time. And uh, Mr. Perfect was uh, his advisor, manager, slash manager. Uh, this is a time when, when Kurt uh, wasn't in the ring. And uh, so that's how he was spending his time uh, being a manager. They kept him out there, you know, because he was just uh, so great uh, in front of a camera and a microphone that they wanted to utilize him, uh, you know, as, as, as much as they possibly could. And they teamed him up here with Ric Flair, and he was also doing commentary. And he is a part of this program. He was doing Superstars with Vince. But, of course, uh, as we begin this show, uh, he can't be uh, at ringside doing commentary because he's working with Mr. Perfect as his uh, slash advisor, manager, whatever you want to call it, uh, whatever he was doing back then. But it was all just to put Rick over, like Rick needed any help. But, uh, you know, it was part of a, it was kind of an interesting storyline as uh, he, you know, wanted to be the champion of the WWF and certainly uh, pulled that off. So uh, we had this, this all going on, and the show begins with Vince Solo uh, doing that match, and then Mr. Perfect will join him. But, uh, you know, just to give you a little rundown of what, uh, what, what, what is in this program, of course, I mentioned Ric Flair, and uh, he's uh, got Mr. Perfect with him at ringside as he takes on an enhancement talent, a uh, guy by the name of Ron Cumberledge, okay? 
And uh, we'll, we'll talk more about this, uh, this matchup. But th- this wasn't certainly going to be for any title or anything like that. This was just to say, uh, here's what Rick's up to these days and, and uh, give everybody a chance to see him in the ring. Uh, also, you know, we, as, as uh, I mentioned, they plugged everything they possibly could. Uh, you know, we used, uh, we had different, uh, you know, little inserts that we would put in here. Of course, we had the event center and I would plug the local events. But if we had other things we wanted to plug, they'd do something they called the WWF update. And uh, this is something that uh, Gene Okerlund often did. Um, and uh, that's in there. And it's got some of these uh, events that I hosted that they uh, put in there to uh, plug some of the other Coliseum videos that were coming out. Um, the British Bulldog is in is featured in this program, and uh, y- if you remember now, I mentioned this is April 1992, and this is prior to SummerSlam that would take uh, place at the end of August in England at Wembley Stadium. And remember, we've talked about this many times. What was going on uh, at the time over that over the summer? And there's very there's conflicting stories of what what exactly was was happening with uh, Davy Davy Boy and uh, what was happening with his health. And, of course, there was rumors that uh, he was doing a lot of drugs and that, uh, you know, he was really uh, down and out at that point, had really kind of uh, spiraled down into this, um, you know, uh, very, very dangerous lifestyle. But then, of course, we've had, uh, you know, we've had members of the Smith family on, and they've uh, told us that uh, in, in their eyes it was a different story. Uh, that he had actually had gotten a really, really bad infection in his knee, and that's why he was so ill over that summer. Uh, and then we had the, you know, the, the, the big uh, climax to all this was at Wembley Stadium when he took on Brett the Hitman Hart. And uh, what a just a, an unbelievably great match they had. It's legendary. So uh, we, we'll, be, we'll pay extra attention. This is, like I said, this was in April. So it was shortly after that, or maybe he already had you know, the, uh, the leg injury, uh, but uh, I'm, I'm definitely going to be paying close attention when we watch the match just to see how he moves and everything, and, uh, and, and we'll, call it, we'll talk more about what was happening then. Uh, so we got the British Bulldog, and um, as I mentioned, this is Plug City. We had the WBF going on, the World Bodybuilding Federation, and Vince was not going to miss any opportunity to plug uh, his supplements and Ico Pro and uh, what uh, was happening as he tried to push that uh, gigantic boulder up a hill with wrestling fans. Uh, and they'll, you'll see a couple of, uh, of uh, promotions in this for the WBF. Uh, the Beverly Brothers are uh, in this episode, along with the Genius, who's their uh, manager at the time. And uh, we see Bowen Blake uh, take on a couple of jobbers, Eric Collins and Mike Freedom. And uh, no shortage of enhancement talent on these programs because most of these matches were just uh, complete squash matches where they'd bring these guys out. And as I've mentioned before, that to me there was a difference between a jobber and an enhancement talent. A jobber was some uh, somebody who probably came from, from, from some local wrestling school that uh, was in the city that we were uh, taping these shows, and uh, they would bring a bunch of them down there just to get the living crap beat out of them by these superstars and they could go back and tell them how they were in the ring with someone like uh, the British Bulldog or the Beverly Brothers or you know whoever the Shawn Michaels or so uh, enhancement talent to me is somebody who is skilled who's a good hand who they need in that ring to help put a upcoming superstar over or 
uh, someone that uh, is on his way to you know maybe challenging for a title just to show how good they are and that they deserve the shot. So uh, there's there's my my uh, my feelings on that, and I've I've mentioned it uh, many times. So we've got the Beverly Brothers in this match, and they take on uh, these guys in a, a tag team matchup, and then Shawn Michaels is also uh, in this show with Sensational Sherry. He was teamed up with Sensational Sherry at the time. Uh, for a, a nice squash match, and Shawn Michaels, he's he's uh, I don't know, he's kind of like to me, it's his baby fat stage. He's kind of has this. Uh, he's not uh, as he would when you know when we saw him during the uh, Degeneration X period, and you'll know what I'm talking about when we get to that encounter. And as I mentioned, the the plugs of the WBF keep coming. Uh, Sergeant Slaughter is on uh, this program, and he faces uh, the Brooklyn Brawler. And uh, you talk about some of the best uh, enhancement talent that uh, was ever in the, the WWF. Uh, the Brooklyn Brawler is definitely on that list. Uh, we've got it. We're going to see Gene Okerlund in this show uh, again with uh, he, as he does this interview um, on the interview platform uh, with Sid Justice. Uh, Sid Justice was uh, with the WWF, but uh, <laughs> as we'll as uh, we will discuss, it wouldn't be there much longer. Uh, the Natural Disasters, boy, they jammed this program uh, just chock full of, uh, of superstars. The Natural Disasters, of course, um, you've got uh, Fred Ottman, of course, uh, you know, as the, the uh, typhoon and, and earthquake, uh, and uh, they, they, they team up. And, and you know, that, they, they were, I thought they made a great tag team. And as we've, uh, when we've talked to Fred before, uh, he just loved John uh, Penta. You know, they were, they were really, really, really good friends. Uh, the Berserker, uh, this is this is kind of the featured match, and they would do this. You know, they'd have one match that would uh, have a couple of superstars together uh, helping to push a, a story along a line that was going to be, you know, featured across the country when these guys would travel. They would, This would probably be a main event, you know, at uh, many of the venues that uh, they would travel to. And so they put them together just to push the story along, a uh, storyline along. Nothing major would happen, but it would be enough to, you know, uh, uh, first of all, that, that people would who were watching got to see a match where you actually saw two superstars going at it. But they would also, you know, add some more heat to whatever the storyline was that was happening. So uh, we'll get to, uh, you know, all this is coming up. Uh, in the meantime, though, I want you to uh, get queued up, ready to go with the WWE Network. And if you haven't gone there yet, uh, it's real easy to do. You know, just get on the network, uh, go to, uh, scroll down till you get to Featured or features, and then find superstars, click on that, and this episode is all the way down at the bottom of the page, uh, as I mentioned, April 25th, 1992, that's April 25th, 1992, and uh, I want to give a a credit out here to uh, sources for, you know, the notes in this is from uh, blogofdoom.com, uh, that uh, recap this with their own notes on the on this episode, and of course I want to add a lot more to it. But uh, that's kind of the layout of what was going on. And one thing I, I also like to do when we, um, you know, set these uh, these shows up is kind of talk about what was happening in in the country in the world when uh, when uh, this was all going on. You know, we're talking 1992. And so I, I love to look back because uh, I forget what was happening uh, at the time. 
And uh, so let's look. In 1992, um, and you may not remember. I mean, you, you remember it, it happened, uh, many of you, but you probably don't know when. And um, in April of that year, uh, four officers were acquitted in Los Angeles for the beating of Rodney King. And that, uh, that's when they had the, uh, some riots happen, a lot of violence in Los Angeles. Also, um, the uh, Democratic Convention would uh, nominate Bill Clinton and Al Gore, uh, Bill Clinton for president, Al Gore as his vice president. That happened on July 1st. And uh, let's see, uh, Republicans uh, renominate uh, George Bush and uh, Dan Quayle uh, with the Republican Party. And uh, that would, uh, of course, uh, end badly because Bill Clinton would become president. Um, uh, in sports, let's see, we had the, uh, the uh, Redskins take on the Buffalo Bills in the World Series. It was uh, Toronto facing the Atlanta Braves, uh, Chicago and Portland in the NBA championship. Um, let's see what else we got here. Uh, in the NCAA basketball championship, it was Duke versus Maryland, or Michigan, I should say. It's uh, uh, Duke versus Michigan. And, uh, of course, the NCAA football championship, uh, Alabama. Oh, man, a lot happening there. Now, in, in uh, entertainment news, uh, compact discs would... Uh, uh, compact discs, guys, not dicks. Compact <laughs> discs surpass cassette tapes as the preferred medium for recorded music, and uh, it says here there are 900 million television sets in use around the world. I bet there's a lot more now. Uh, there were 201 million uh, are in the United States. And I think around then the population was probably in the neighborhood of 250 million people. So it was almost a TV for every man, woman, and child in this country. Uh, <clears throat> let's see what else we got going. Oh, Johnny Carson would host The Tonight Show for the last time. Uh, after uh, ruling late, uh, late night television for 20 years. And there's a lot of people today that don't even remember Johnny Carson, but man, he was the king of television. He could, you know, especially for a lot of comedians, he launched hundreds of careers, uh, some of the biggest names uh, who would become uh, gigantic stars. And uh, so that was, that was what was happening then uh, as far as uh, in the world. Um, so yeah, to give you a little background now also remember now this was the beginning things were starting to brew because I remember being with the WWF at the time and uh, ideas and uh, investigations were going on about uh, steroids in the company and Vince McMahon distributing steroids and uh, the boys doing um, uh, all kinds of steroids to get big and massive and uh, so you started he hearing about uh, all this going on. Now, the trial wouldn't happen until 94, but um, it was not a good time in the company. And there was a, a lot of uh, anxious people, uh, you know, a lot of uh, people not knowing what was going to happen. Uh, they were struggling, uh, beginning to really struggle financially. And uh, so it was, uh, it was a crazy time to be with the, uh, the WWF. And... Um, you know, so there was a lot of things happening as, as far in the world in the world of professional wrestling. You know, they had uh, the Royal Rumble, uh, which would take place uh, you know, January nineteenth, earlier in the year, and the uh, Royal Rumble would happen. And uh, let's see what else was going on with the uh, the WCW. Uh, of course, was 
Not to, well, we weren't talking Monday Night Wars yet, but uh, they had uh, a lot of the guys had already, um, you know, defected down there. Rick Rude was down there, and uh, you know, a, a, a few of the others were would uh, start making their way there. And uh, at some point, man, it was there was a lot of guys. There was a lot of guys who went down south, and they changed the course of uh, professional wrestling forever. Um, Let's see now. Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Let's go through this uh, to to tell you who was you know big time or who was really recognized at the time. And in 1992, Ric Flair was named the Wrestler of the Year. Uh, the Tag Team of the Year was Terry Gordy and Steve Williams. Uh, the Match of the Year: uh, Bret Hart versus the British Bulldog at SummerSlam. As we will uh, we'll get into chatting about that a little bit when we get into the show, as uh, the British Bulldog makes an appearance. Uh, the feud of the year was the Moon Dog spot in Cujo versus Jerry Lawler and Jeff Jarrett. Uh, that was not the WWF. Uh, most popular wrestler of the year, Sting. Most hated wrestler was Rick Rude. And this is all according to Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Uh, most improved wrestler of the year, Razor Ramon. Uh, comeback of the year, the Ultimate Warrior. Hmm, uh, Interesting. Uh, most inspirational wrestler of the year, Ron Simmons. Rookie of the year, Eric Watts. Uh, lifetime achievement, Stanley Weston. I don't know where did they come up with these. Uh, and the editors award, Paul uh, editors award was Polly Dangerously. So uh, the Wrestling Observer also named uh, Ric Flair as the uh, wrestler of the year uh, then. And uh, so there was a lot lot going on in the world of professional wrestling. As I uh, mentioned, so uh, why don't we get to this episode and we can really uh, start chatting about what was uh, happening at the time with the WWF. And I hope at this point you're all tuned in as uh, we uh, take a look at this episode. Superstars from April 25th, 1992. And you know how we do it. I just count down and say press play. Okay, so... If you're not ready, let's take a quick pause here, okay? And uh, make sure you're all queued up. Here we go. Uh, welcome back. Uh, that uh, brief timeout. So let's get to this episode. Superstars, WWF Superstars, April 25th, 1992. Three, two, one, play. All righty, we start with that fantastic Animation. And, and as I've, I've said a couple times when we see these, you know, this was uh, way ahead of its time. And I like looking at all the superstars. I mean, you got, you know, oh, you see the young Undertaker right there? Uh, IRS, Owen, uh, there was a Typhoon, there's Earthquake, Tatanka, Owen, Nasty Boys, Ultimate Warrior was still there. <laughs> and then the last shot, uh, Hulk Hogan. And, of course... The Ultimate Warrior. And they're, they're saying they're in Kalamazoo, Missouri, okay, at Wing Stadium. And, uh, you know, they, they say that, you know, that the, the Kalamazoo was uh, home of K.O. Pectate. So this entire lead-in by Vince is all potty humor. It's all toilet humor, which Vince just loves. So he said, you know, Mr. Perfect had to go. He's a little backed up. <laughs> yeah so you know Vince can't resist Mr. Perfect found nothing but easy going boy it was I, I, there may have been a record here 
you know, there might be 25 toilet puns here on uh, having diarrhea. All right, and Vince starts to go through the matches, Undertaker versus the Berserker. Of course, that's the big main event for this show. And uh, as I said at the top, Vince on his own at the open of this thing because the first match is going to be uh, Mr. Uh, Ric Flair is going to be there. So Mr. Perfect uh, is at ringside with him. So, of course, he cannot be doing both of the uh, you know, commentary and being ringside. Although he could have because they didn't do that open until they were in the studio uh, a week or so later. <laughs> But you guys know that. You've already been smartened up to all that. And Ric Flair, of the man of many robes, makes his way out. And Mr. Perfect. You know, sharp dresser, right? Mr. Perfect. And it, it kind of, uh, Ron Cumberledge, yes. Uh, it, it, it kind of was interesting to me that why they needed to put Perfect with Flair. I mean, I didn't, Flair didn't need anybody. I mean, he could cut a promo better than anybody. And I would have thought at the time, I was a little surprised. I thought they put him with somebody who needed the help. Flair didn't need any help. He had no problem putting himself over. He didn't need somebody to do it for him. But I think it was uh, to keep Kurt uh, relevant within the WWF. Uh, They were hoping that he would come back and get into the ring. So Ric Flair carefully wants to make sure that the the robe is taken care of and he makes the guy come all the way up on the apron to get the robe. Of course, just to be a schmuck, you know, just get a little more heat. And uh, Cumberledge is quite a, a physical specimen here in good shape. As they go, and Vince uh, doing commentary all on his own here, doing uh, play-by-play and color. He adds a few of his own comments into this. As Flair goes to work, side headlock. And uh, this guy, you know, I'm sure thrilled that he got this opportunity to be in the ring with Ric Flair. Although, uh, you know, most of these matches... Didn't even last two minutes. And I don't think this one is going to uh, last much longer. But they'll get to it. Let's see how much time he got. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he got he got even more than two minutes. This uh, match uh, on here in the notes, is uh, it says it's 2-12. So. And we never miss a chance to plug the magazine. Remember that? What a great angle that was, though. I Really, that's one of my favorites where they did. They uncover. They took these mat, these uh, these negatives, apparently, and uh, Flair doctored them to put himself in the pictures. And so, you know, they have shots of Miss Elizabeth along with Randy playing pool, and then they cut Randy out. They put Ric Flair in there, and it's, <laughs> it's, it's a clever angle, man. The side suplex by Ric Flair as he uh, prepares to finish off Mr. Cumberledge. Yeah, but I'm not, you know, I'm not, again, I don't really know what purpose Kurt served. Puts a figure four in and uh, 
Danny Davis, the referee for this match, is the one who uh, calls for the bell as they wrap this one up. Mr. Perfect, quick work. And so uh, he's got his work done for the day. But this is, uh, again, they're working the angle here between him and and, uh, Randy Savage and him supposedly. Uh, Here we are. Remember I mentioned update. Now, this was another way to sell the magazine. And you got Gene. Man, where did he get that tie? Flower shop, apparently. And this is where you could become a member of the WWF fan club. So it was right after, you know, WrestleMania eight. And, uh, we had the, uh, the double main event, as Gene mentions here, it was, uh, yeah. Oh, I remember this. Not, uh, you know, uh, not exactly, uh, ready for the rock and roll hall of fame. But it was fun. I mean, they had a live, they had a live band. And what is Sherry wearing? Oh my goodness, boy! How did she keep that thing on? Mouth South Jimmy Hart, a true rock and roller. That's how he started, writing music. Look at me! What the heck? That guy was good, too. Look at this guy. He really did look like Paul Bearer. But this is all part of the um, WrestleMania. Um, you know, the, this is where they really started to open up the you know, what you call what became a, you know, a big part of the Fan Fest stuff they would do. That they had all these events. And they were fun. I really, really enjoyed doing because you got to interact with the live crowd. Yeah. This was great. And this is where they had the guys, you know, and they had them all in a row and they had uh, loud people that wasn't a roast. It looks like a roast. But uh, Jake Roberts and Rick Martell were there and and people could, uh, I went out in the audience with a microphone and they got to ask these guys questions. And it was, it was really cool because not many people had gotten that opportunity. They hadn't really done that kind of a format before. And it was, it was a, it was a lot of fun. I really look forward to those events that uh, we would be able to do because it was a, a time you could really interact with everybody. But as we did, you know, here was the update. They would throw those in um, pretty much every show, and it was to plug outside events. So there they, they got to do a number of things. They got to plug um, the magazine, and then they also got to, uh, they got to plug Coliseum Home Video. Because we'd say, yeah, that's going to be appearing on there. Now, this guy, what, Kevin Kruger? Now, he looks like a, a guy who, you know, probably was training at some local uh, wrestling school there. And uh, here comes the British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith, in singles action at this point. And as I mentioned at the top of this, um, you know, SummerSlam would be that August, and we're talking now we're in April. And so it was shortly after this that he would pretty much go uh, missing, in a sense. And he was laying low, and 
as we've had, uh, oh, and this is where they bring in Mr. Perfect, of course. To make it, uh, <laughs> so uh, he had to be with Mr. I mean, he had to be Mr. Perfect had to be with Ric Flair at the top of that, so he couldn't do commentary until after that match was over. And so he comes in, and now it's the two of them. But as I was talking about, uh, as I was mentioning, uh, SummerSlam '92 was going to be taking place later that August, and uh, as we mentioned before, when we had. Uh, his his uh, his wife at the time, Diana, um, she claims that he had a really bad infection in his knee. I don't know if it became a staph infection, but uh, it was really bad and it was spreading throughout his body and he had to be put on all of these antibiotics. She said like everything under the sun to try and, and knock this infection out of him. And so he couldn't do anything. The doctor told him he just all he had to do was able to do really is just lay on a couch at home with his leg up, and hope to God that the infection would um, would end and then he could get healthy. Uh, uh, Bret Hart tells a different story. As uh, the British Bulldog uh, goes to work on this guy Kruger, and uh, he knows it's coming here. There's the big power slam, easy cover. That match was, I don't know, was it a minute and a half? Maybe. But uh, Davey Boy Smith looks great here, and I didn't notice any any uh, physical ailment uh, hindering him whatsoever. But look how uh, he's huge at this point. So, But it was shortly after that this would all happen, and, and then as I was talking about uh, Bret Hart, said that he, kept, he tried to get a hold of him several times and that uh, he, he heard from Jim Neidhart that he was doing a lot of drugs. and uh, So it, it depends on what you want to believe because you know, both sides vehemently uh, say that their, their story is the correct one. Yeah, there was uh, the WBF program, Body Stars, And this is when, uh, if you recall, they went out and they hired all of these, uh, some of the biggest names in bodybuilding at the time, and they put them under contract, which did not thrill the boys. The superstars in the uh, WWF were not pleased. Uh, And of course, it's not like something they could have kept under wraps. That was going to get out. And once it was out, boy, it was not, not good. And they would send these guys out to house shows to do these pose downs between uh, matches. So they'd have to be at these. And, and they, they first they started, they would have them go out to a, a bunch of these shows, not necessarily television tapings. And uh, there were a few altercations, uh, I'll say. And they realized that that's not going to work because there's just way too much animosity to these guys. Look at these two, Eric Collins and who were they? <laughs> I don't even catch what the other guy's name was. Uh, let's see, it's, uh, uh, let's see. Okay, well, we got the genius doing a poem here, but it's Eric Collins and Mike Freedom. As the uh, the genius is their manager, and uh, basically calls LOD here the Legion of Doom sissies. Uh, this, of course, they're working this angle between the Beverly Brothers and uh, the Legion of Doom, Hawk and Animal, and boy, okay, guys, 
take your medicine, take your discipline, get your discipline, as uh, Stu would say. Uh, oof, big slam. All right, so we got to get uh, the Beverly Brothers each out to get, get in their shots so that uh, get a little profile. Oh, uh, boy. Oh, boy. Uh, so they're stirring up the heat with uh, LOD, calling them sissies. And Paul Ellering, of course, was their, their manager. And, uh, you know, part of that uh, stemmed from, they, they remember they had the, uh, the, the ventriloquist dummy that was part of that, which was just the weirdest pairing ever. Um, uh, as you've... Uh, we told the story that uh, Joe talks about Joel Arnitis, uh, you know, how much they hated that stupid dummy. And it kind of came to a head at uh, rest, at SummerSlam uh, in August when uh, they'd had enough. And that's when uh, Hawk disappeared. It was uh, Nobody really knew what happened to him. He took off, I guess he was with this biker gang over there and uh, they couldn't find him. Uh, that was uh, That was crazy. And they slam, uh, I don't know if that's Collins or Freedom, but uh, that's the end of their freedom in the ring for this matchup as the Beverly Brothers destroy uh, these two, Eric Collins and Mike Freedom. And not quite sure here what the genius is doing, but uh, it's going to involve some type of humiliation, wouldn't you say? Some lime green paint. They're gonna do. Oh boy! They're gonna put this on the guy's face. Oh, they're doing some just humiliation, apparently. And maybe, maybe he got a couple extra bucks to let him do this to him. Who knows? But he was just believe me, he was glad to be there. Oh wait a minute! It's gonna say no, no, no. It's not LOD. Legion of Sissies. Ah, we got animal, we got hawk, and now we got chicken. Ooh. So just, uh, you know, adding a little uh, little heat to the feud here. Who do you think eventually would come out on top when those uh, two tag teams met up? Uh, you're not going to get away with too much with hawk and animal. So another match that they do, make quick work of this guy. But that was, uh, you know, an interesting Oh, look at that tie. In the event center. Now, see, the, you know, I've talked about this before where they, they really did coordinate these interviews to make them all make sense or somehow try and tie together. See, so we go to uh, Legion of Doom. And uh, they're not pleased about the Beverly Brothers and what they've said. Ellering. I know this is another thing with, uh, you know, I always thought the managers were to really build these guys up. And, and I know that the history with Ellering and uh, uh, he was not that he wasn't a great manager. I just thought in some cases they, they wasted some of these guys where they could have really helped other talent that they were bringing up by putting them together. But it also could have been they thought maybe that 
LOD was getting a little tired. You know, they needed to, to pump some life in there. Oh, massive ship known as the Legion of Doom. Hmm. All right, Mooney. Oh, and then we've got Barry Darso. Here is Repo Man, the... You know, the guy did all kinds of gimmicks along his way, along the way, but uh, nothing could have, uh, you know, ever surpass the greatest gimmick he ever had, and that, of course, with uh, with Demolition, Axe and Smash. So, you know, it was it was okay, and I was glad to keep uh, to see that he was he kept working. Uh, he was a guy that just uh, worked his ass off, and so. This one was, it, I never, it would just didn't work. I mean, it, it didn't. And I don't think, I think that he didn't even really know what to do with it. He did a, he did a good job with what, what he had, but what do you do with that? You know? So, and the event center, you see where the, the screens behind me, see that? Yes, it was a green screen. It wasn't really in the control room. That was the edit one, the background. All right, so we get back to action. And that that was one of the general uh, things they would insert into the show because uh, remember I've uh, mentioned before that uh, wherever, if they we had a show going to a certain uh, area of the country, they would put in a, cu- a customized version just for that market. And here's Crush. I'm not quite sure what they're trying to do with these vignettes with Crush. Oh, oops. Uh, what was that with the milk and the cookies? Oh boy. So that... That whole thing, that whole vignette was to talk about him having manners or not having manners. I don't know. I'm not quite sure, but that was not one of them. We did some great vignettes. That was not one of them. But that was another thing that I'm trying to put, um, trying to put crush over, and it uh, just didn't happen. And, uh, you know, they, they couldn't make it happen as a continuation of demolition and then they tried crush and it just just didn't work and Shawn michaels uh along his way his evolution after the rockers had uh, split up and became uh hbk and sensational sherry as his manager You know, and he could, he was, you know, he got great heat here. You know, he's in great shape. I think I said, mentioned at the beginning of this that, that I was kind of his uh, baby fat stage. Now, he's pretty cut here. So I take that back because he looks, he looks good. Yeah, he is. Uh, he's, he's definitely cut. There was a period, though, that he just was a little puffy. And I think it was earlier on when he was with, uh, as a rocker. All right, so we've got Shawn Michaels, a sensational share at ringside. This is George Anderson that he's uh, taking on here. 
And, uh, and this is, uh, you know, the angle they're selling here is that he's going to meet, uh, uh, you know, Bret Hart, uh, as we know that their feuds would become legendary. Some, some of the greatest matches, I think, ever in the WWE between those two. It wouldn't end well, of course. We all know that. But um, see, we got a little promo here from Brett. Sensational Sherry uh, getting a little distraction in there to allow Shawn Michaels to further destroy this guy. Uh, this guy, George Anderson. And uh, he's he's going to make quick work of this guy. I don't know. This is another one. And it's funny that none of these matches really, they didn't last more, longer than two minutes because we had a lot to get in in that uh, hour and really came down to about 45 minutes when you added all the commercials that were in there. So it wasn't much. So that was over, what, a minute 48 as... Uh, Does that uh, teardrop suplex for the win? But boy, they love the bad boy. They uh, HBK, Heartbreak Kid. And what do you guys think about this pairing? And, and look, you know how he... You, you could do kind of that... Uh, they're still able to get away with that uh, domestic abuse, I guess you'd call it. Oh my, look at that. We had a WBF magazine. Gary Stridham. You know, and I was just thinking, I got to get, I really want to get Gary on. I, I want to do a, a, an episode with uh, Gary Stridham, who was the champion uh, back then. And really, he was very well known in the world of uh, bodybuilding. And those guys walked away with a bucket of money, man. As we get back to Event Center. Even I was uh, helping to plug that WBF, the ill-fated uh, business that uh, Vince tried to develop with uh, Ico Pro and the supplements. That's where the real money was, guys. And Carrie Von Eric, man. What a specimen, though, huh? He struggled with with promos. That was uh, that was they were always really tough for him. Uh, you know where he'd have to really work them. We'd probably have to do them a few times. But he was uh, one of the nicest one of the nicest people I ever met in the business. Just a really a sweet guy. And and could have done uh, so much. I mean, uh, really, he could have had such a great career in the WWF. But his demons got the best of him. And it wasn't just it wasn't just drugs. Uh, it was just the the other things that haunted him in his life. And just real, like I said, one of the, the nicest people you'd ever meet. Uh, he was, I remember we would do events and he would uh, spend time with the kids. He would sign every single autograph and have personal conversations with them and just go on and on as he would, uh, you know, just do whatever uh, it took to, to uh, make fans happy. He did it. And here's the bad boys. These are the real bad boys of the WWF. They were just a, they were a tornado wherever they went. Whenever they went out, it, it <laughs> there was always some incident, it seemed like. And they could, from 
Might be minor, maybe most of the time, but then they would really get themselves into trouble because they just didn't care. They, they, they were really good, though. I, I love their promos. And they haven't changed a bit. And I see it's uh, good to uh, see that um, Brian is, is uh, on the mend. I know he's been he's out there back again doing uh, appearances here and there. So uh, thank goodness. I'm, uh, he was in real trouble there for a while. As we wrap up, another event center. Where did you get that tie, Mooney? Jesus. All right, uh, another match, another uh, big superstar in this one. And uh, the Brooklyn Brawler was, you know, he was a legit superstar. And uh, many times used as an enhancement talent. And I've explained the difference in my mind. Uh, Sergeant Slaughter. It's funny to you know, to me, uh, Sergeant Slaughter always seemed old. And I don't mean that in a bad way. He just seemed like he'd been around. and and But, he, you know, even seeing him now, he looks exactly the same. <laughs> he hasn't changed much, you know, after all those years. And he, uh, you know, he definitely, boy, what a career. And all the different uh, phases he went through, baby face, heel, and he could do both so well. And uh, and loved being a heel, even though uh, it was a, it was a many at many periods it was dangerous. I mean, threats on his life and his family that had to have security during that whole thing with the Sheik, General Adnan, and uh, the Brawler. Take some big clotheslines. And just uh, taking a big, big beating here from the Sarge. And this is, uh, you know, they're trying to work something with him in the Mountie, as you know, uh, Jacques Rougeau had gone on his own after Raymond decided that uh, he didn't want to. He wouldn't want to keep keeping up that brutal schedule, and and Raymond had uh, invested well and just felt it was time for him to go. And so Jacques, on his own, was given that gimmick, the Mountie, and it was kind of a military thing. I mean, you know, Sarge, the Mountie, America, Canada. <laughs> mm. Cobra clutch, cobra clutch. Too much for the brawler. And that was one of the things that would, it was kind of the cruel end of it you know they'd give you a push the brawler had a push for a while got some decent matches and everything but then it's not like they just say okay you're done being the brawler we're not going to push you anymore then they have to just kind of squash you back down which they did with steve unfortunately but man you know we had him on the show and he talks about the career that he had it spanned decades so uh can't can't knock that right guy uh guy made the most of it and uh Contributed a lot, a big part of the history of the of the World Wrestling Federation at the time. 
And Gene, of course, nobody did these interviews better than me and Gene Okerlund. And uh, see, Harvey Whippleman, his manager, comes out with Sid Justice. And you've heard some stories uh, about you know, Whippleman and uh, just how bizarre it was to, to travel around with Sid Justice. <laughs> but look how massive he is, man. He was just a big dude. And you never knew what he was going to say. You never knew. Oh, boy. As he... <laughs> oh, that, I want to roll that back, though, of Gene's reaction when he tells him to shut up. Oh, is that awesome. All right, and so they're getting something set up here between the warrior and Sid Justice, which... Uh, uh, was a bit interrupted, shall we say, because Justice would do this interview. And if you remember the interview that we did with him, is he really, he didn't care when it came down to it. And he was ready to walk away at any time. If if something pissed him off or he felt they were treating him unfairly or had been done wrong somehow, he would just, he would, he, he had no problem with walking away. And I think that the fact that he was willing to do that uh, gave him a lot of leverage in the company and uh, made him a lot of money. But as with anything, uh, they just at some point Vince gets tired of it, and uh, it, and it to his detriment, uh, that's how it would end up for him. Um, So you've got uh, Gene on the mic, and <clears throat> just as, you know, you, you don't get to see all of his reactions because they're not on camera, but Gene was just so good. And, and you know, Justice could sh- cut a great promo when, uh, he was, when he was into it. See, so, you know, pretty intense, right? I don't know if he sprayed down before he went out there, but man, got a good spritz going. He is a big dude. The ultimate warrior. Vince loved to say that. The ultimate warrior. Anyway, uh, as it goes, uh, Sid would be gone a couple of days later after this thing aired. So just, <laughs> that's, that's just the way he was. That was just the way Sid Justice, Sid Udy was. And the Finkster. And that, you know, that was a reference that they would do. Uh, you know, it's kind of the Elvis reference. Shawn Michaels has left the building just to show his arrogance all right so now we got a match coming up here with the natural disasters two of my big favorites as the uh kent carlson and tom stone are going to be sacrificed here uh with about 800 pounds of human meat that's just going to pound them into submission As you see right there, as they make their way to the ring, Typhoon 
an earthquake. And they were big boys. And also good friends. You know, they were they were really good friends. And uh, as we've had uh, Fred Ottman on before talk about that uh, he was one of the his well one of his most favorite people to work with in the WWF. So as John Tenta and Fred Ottman teamed up here as the Natural Disasters, and they were a great tag team. Loved them. I thought they were fantastic. And really, you know, for as big as these guys were, John Tenta could really move. I mean, he was, uh, you may know the, the, his history, but he uh, had trained as a gaijin, as a, uh, you know, a westerner, as a sumo wrestler, and he really, he could, he could really, he could move around that ring, uh, considering how much he weighed. And he outweighed uh, Fred by, uh, I think, 50, 60 pounds, maybe. Although it doesn't really look like, but the height-wise. And, uh, you know, Fred, man, he's, he is big. So they're talking about um, uh, an upcoming matchup here between uh, Money, Inc., IRS and uh, Ted DiBiase. Look at this. Oh, man. These guys. Ooh. That's a lot of weight, and that's a mistake. Yeah, that wasn't that wasn't smart, Tom Stone. As we get a double sandwich going here. And he's going to just bam... As they just melt. <laughs> I get put the uh, the double a- avalanche there, and then of course the big earthquake splash. He's not going anywhere. Here's the earthquake. Oh. Yeah, you know, he, he, at least he saved that guy uh, broken ribs. You know, did kind of the the sideways landing when he uh, when John came off the ropes there. But just a massive tag team, and they, uh, you know, uh, Fred didn't want it to end. Uh, John Tenta was not in the greatest health, and uh, you know, who knows what the, what they might have done beyond that. So we still got the the big main event coming up. We've got uh, the Berserker and Mister Fuji, who's going to be at ringside uh, facing the Undertaker and Paul Bearer. Oh, that's nice. You know, they couldn't just get anybody to do that. You really did have to know how to shoot tobacco. Otherwise, you would have been puking your guts out. But Skinner was great. Love Skinner. He was an old hand uh, when he came to the WWF. But it was another gimmick. They really didn't know how to develop or what to do with it. So, like anything else, they kind of... 
get a push for a while and then it just doesn't work and then they disappear. Oh, Tatanka, right? We've got Tatanka coming up here. As, uh, yeah. And this is, uh, remember, we these were the general event centers. This was uh, not necessarily, we would push storylines. We wouldn't push particular matches necessarily. You know, we might, uh, you know, guys going up against each other, but we wouldn't be specific and tell you exactly when you would see them or where. And these holes were all the same length. That's why they all fit. So you could take the one that was from, you know, the uh, Rosemont Horizon, uh, and it would fit the same hole as the match or the event taking place at Madison Square Garden. And Tatanka, you know, he, he was uh, very into this gimmick. Uh, he, he loved uh, putting over uh, his heritage, and it was very important to him to, to keep it so it wasn't, uh, you know, like he was mocking it in any way. And I remember, I wonder what, what, how many markets I was into at this point, because I, I don't remember if I would do the general ones first or I'd do it at the end. I looked pretty fresh there, so they probably did those you know, early on because they, they wiped me out. Boy, did they wipe me out. All right, here's the Berserker. And uh, John Nord, man, he was, he was, he was great. I loved, I loved this gimmick. Uh, you know, the way he would do the, uh, you know, and have it off to the, the side there with his eyes and, Teamed him up with Fuji to, to help him out on the promos. Helped stir up a little more heat. And uh, had this going on with The Undertaker. And Paul Bearer. He was great. Uh, he did a really good job as the, uh, the manager for The Undertaker. And at the time, uh, The Undertaker needed the help. He needed to have somebody there with him. Hadn't uh, had had gotten a lot better, but uh, I think initially they just needed somebody else who could be a mouthpiece, and then uh, he played a great role of being a part of the Undertaker's uh, gimmick and the stories. And he was creepy, man. Uh, Paul, Paul Bear was just creepy. I mean, he was a legit mortician, and he 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 really was like that guy that you when you went to a you know. Hand was all kind of fleshy when you shook it, and just pale. <laughs> he, he really, he really had it going on. The Undertaker, of course, was a, a big superstar at this point, but they weren't doing the uh, you know where they turned all the lights down and the thunder and the fire and all that. But he was over big time. No, no, no doubt about that. And you've got, oh, wait a minute now. So could this possibly be distraction? Oh, yes. And Fuji still has the urn. Oh. And that metal. <laughs> okay, maybe it's aluminum. Maybe it's tin. Now, this is, they had some really crazy stuff with the, you know, the sword. 
And look, this, watch this. This is where, where they're doing the whole stabbing thing, and he just rolls out of the way right into the canvas. So the, the timing of this had to be uh, spot on. And Berserker just uh, really taking care of the Undertaker here, sends him right over the top rope. Oh, and he grabs Fuji. But took his eyes off the Berserker again. So, slams the Undertaker into the steel steps at ringside. Then hard into the ring post. Not quite sure what he plans to do with this, but he's just tearing the place up. Oh, oh, oh my God. That's the real deal. That's the real deal. He's got him on the cement. And uh, you could see right there, they had to make sure he did that one right. You even tap that cement, man, you're in big trouble. Reminds me of that match with uh, with Jake and uh, Ricky Steamboat when he does that at ringside, and uh, and you wanted him to do the DDT at ringside, and he Jake was very anxious about doing it into that cement and knocked Steamboat out. I mean, he was legit out uh they lift him up they put him back in the ring and he was just uh really that uh he didn't get his hands down in front of him in time <laughs> so this is a whole deal i mean the the berserker getting the upper hand here on the undertaker with the sword impaling the canvas there. So there you go, man. That was a great episode, don't you think? That was a really good episode. As uh, as Vince plugs next week, Skinner versus the Ultimate Warrior. Yeah. Remember they say, you know, make that, you got to make that tobacco look just disgusting. And you got to have on your shirt and you got to be dripping down your chin. Hey, yeah. And the ultimate warrior. Huh? I'm not quite sure what that all has to do with their match, but hey, you know, all the warrior had to do was do his 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 shtick. Intense screaming, and uh, there you go. You know that he uh, was very anxious to face Skinner, right? <laughs> and the Macho Man Randy Savage going to be a part of that, and of course. We won't miss a chance to. Oh, we got to end. And you got to end this thing with the the sword. They're going to do it in slow motion. You ready? Well, let's get another look at it. And what timing? Just out of the way, just in time. Otherwise, he might have laid out the Undertaker forever. Dong, dong. So I I thought that was a great episode, man. They jammed that thing full. That had I mean, God. 
got the Berserker in there. You had the Undertaker. Appearances by Fuji and Paul Bear. We saw the Natural Disasters. Uh, Sergeant Slaughter uh, taking on uh, one of the best uh, hands in the uh, w- the world of uh, enhancement talent, the Brooklyn Brawler. And uh, Shawn Michaels there with Sensational Sherry. Wow. Beverly Brothers were part of it along with the Genius. We saw the British Bulldog prior to his appearance later that summer at SummerSlam and uh, all the drama that would come with uh, that matchup with, at Wembley Stadium with Brett the Hitman Hart. And then, of course, uh, Ric Flair with Mr. Perfect at ringside. And, uh, you know, that was a good episode. I really enjoyed that episode because uh, there was just so much in it. You know, there was so much. They had, uh, you know, all the superstars. And that's what they did with these, with, with both, you know, all the shows, with, with the Wrestling Challenge especially too. They would really highlight whoever was really being pushed at the time. They didn't give you a whole lot during those shows. They just, uh, that's, not, that's not the way it worked. It's not, not like uh, Raw would become and, and uh, they would start really, you know, pushing uh, these pay-per-views course and the uh, the house shows were still such a huge part of what they did it was uh it was pretty amazing that uh, how many shows those guys would do a week and then they would have to show up at these tv tapings every three weeks and i've talked about them before how just how endless they were they would have these matches the these squash matches and they'd only last a couple of minutes but you still had to be ready to go you still had to get out there and perform uh, and you might do three or four of those because, as I mentioned, you would, and you'd want to be on television because, of course, it would help promote you and get your name out there. But it was uh, it was exhausting. And then, you'd, of course, you'd have to cut all your promos. You'd have to go into one of the cubes that we had there, these uh, these uh, rooms that they would transport around the country and the, the, the big tractor trailers that they'd set up wherever we were. And they were these soundproof booths, these big, giant soundproof booths that they would shoot all the interviews in and uh that these guys would get there and they'd get this list of all the different promos they had to cut and remember they didn't have all of the writer teams that they had they didn't have people writing promos for them not that they would have uh, in a second taken them but uh, it was up to them and they had to be able to get in there and cut these promos uh, for whatever the storylines were, and do them for weeks at a time. So, like we said, with three weeks, so you would have to cut, you know, three particular promos for uh, the week. You know that they were they were actually going to meet up, or if it had advanced by a week, even on the general side of it, they would have to go and uh, cut promos. So they would. Everybody had a number of them to do. If you were uh, a part of any of these storylines that were going on, you would have to cut these promos, and. Uh, and it wasn't like we were doing them with the, the, with the uh, stick mic. You didn't have uh, someone like Gene or me in there to do those. And they were all on their own. Uh, managers would help them out a lot of the time. But uh, for the most part, they these guys were cutting them on their own. They had to uh, be able to come up with their own uh, idea. They would have agents actually in there that knew what was happening. And uh, Howard was uh, a guy who kept track of all the different... Uh, um, promos that these guys were doing that would be appearing in the event center and they would help them out to an extent they would say well, where are we or what's going on at this time or they would be like you know looking for some kind of creative help and the guys would help them but they weren't the greatest in the world either these uh they were just agents they weren't uh they weren't 
from a creative team. But for the most part, they did a. I thought the guys did a great job, uh, considering at the time where they were, in uh, in their philosophy on how they presented all this stuff. And uh, the, as the years would go by, uh, they would they would start adding these writing teams. And uh, if you heard the episode that we had on primetime with Sean Mooney, uh, Dave Lagana was on. He was one of the writers for um, about almost I think a six year span there. And he, he talks about uh, how crazy it was to, uh, you know, try and get, you know, your, your ideas in. And uh, some of these guys had uh, wrestling backgrounds who were legit wrestling fans, but then other guys they brought in were from the entertainment world. Uh, wrestling was foreign to them. Uh, they had to learn to write for these characters. Some were better at it than others, but uh, there was a lot of uh, animosity and a lot of situations i've heard chris jericho talk about how you know they would uh, come up to him with didn't matter what it was that they would come up to him with a promo or something on a piece of paper and he he would just you know either you know, like wad it up and throw it back in their face or throw it over his shoulder so <laughs> it was uh it was kind of interesting how that all evolved you know with uh, over the years with uh with the uh, how they how they did those promos and of course the event center went away uh, after I left shortly after I left so um, you know everything changed they didn't customize the markets like they did when I was there uh, they did it in different ways so I don't I, I think that the the load of interviews went way down after that because they weren't uh, necessarily they they would plug I think um, you know uh, bigger markets but the smaller ones they didn't do those specific custom promos for but it all worked out, right? It, things evolved. Like I said, that was a, a big part when they did all those house shows and they just they were making uh, money by doing it uh, different ways. And then eventually all the guys would get their own contracts. So um, it, it all changed for the better for you know the company and the boys because as we've discussed many times, just how brutal that schedule was that these guys were on. Just insane that you would travel... Um, you know, when they did six and seven shows a week, sometimes they had double shots. Sometimes they had to travel from one place to another. Like for example, they do Boston and and New York in the same day. Uh, you know, and then maybe then fly to California. I mean, it was uh, insane. And it, and I can't imagine. You know, it's still real easy to have a family life now, but back then, forget it. You know, you would uh, you would never you wouldn't see your family. Pretty much for most of the year, you would come home, uh, maybe for a four-day stint or something. But you, you know, one, two of those days was or is traveling. The other two days, you're exhausted, basically doing your laundry, and your kids want to try and get to know you. So uh, it was uh, a crazy time uh, back then. As uh, I will continue to tell the stories as we as we uh, watch more and more from uh, the wwe network but i i really enjoyed that episode that uh, superstars uh, episode from april 25th 1992 uh, a lot uh, uh, other things happening with the, the the ptsm franchise here uh, every monday of course we drop uh, these network classics at 6 a.m eastern time then of course an original episode of a prime time with sean mooney every single wednesday at 6 a.m and then uh, the vault episodes that we release on saturday you know, episodes that maybe you hadn't uh, 
seen or you hadn't uh, really thought about going back into the library and digging for it, well, we put these up every week, and they're all great episodes. They've been uh, well-received, and we'll keep doing that as, uh, as we move on. Um, also, if you haven't checked out our T-shirts, you know, we've got some great T-shirts at MooneyTees.com. Uh, and here we are into the holiday season. What better gift than to give um, someone you love who loves PTSM a Sean Mooney Who T-shirt or uh, perhaps a, a Ding 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 uh, shirt. We've got a bunch of them up there. All you have to do is go to MooneyTees.com. That's MooneyTees.com. And we'd also love to have you join us uh, with our PTSM Patreon membership. And you can do that by going to patreon.com slash primetime Mooney. That's patreon.com slash primetime Mooney. For as little as $4.99, you can get all the content, all the content I mentioned early and ad-free. And, of course, we've got uh, other tiers for uh, more perks. You become a Mooney or become a member of the Legion of Who. And uh, we've got, uh, you know, the watch-alongs, Ask Mooney Anything. You get to ask questions for all our guests that only you get to ask, and they answer you directly. And we put that up on Patreon. And, of course, after you've been with us a while, if you're a Legion of Who member, you get to do your very own podcast with me that we put up on Patreon. And uh, also, uh, after a year, uh, your own watch-along. We'll do a watch-along that just you and I uh, watch. So... Uh, don't miss your chance to do that. Just go to patreon.com slash Mooney and check it out. Uh, in the meantime, I hope you have a fantastic uh, rest of the week. And thanks for listening. I'm Sean Mooney, and I am out.